Uh, if you've been here in previous weeks, you know that we're in a sermon series, What the Bible is All About. Uh, we've discovered that people are sort of hungry to know the overarching story of Scripture, uh, what, the, what the theme is, what the, what the big narrative is, and, and more importantly, how do I fit into God's big story? And uh, rather than just you know, picking Scriptures here and there, a time to just look at the overarching picture. And so we're in that series now for the New Testament, and we're going to be looking at the book of Acts the 16th chapter, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 6. I don't want you to listen very prayerfully. They went to Phrygia and then on through the region of Galatia. Their plan was to turn west into the Asia province, but the Holy Spirit blocked that route. So they went to Mysia and tried to go north to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them to go there either. Proceeding on through Mysia, they went down to the seaport Troas. That night, Paul had a dream. A Macedonian stood on the far shore and called across the sea, Come over to Macedonia and help us. The dream gave Paul his map. We went to work at once, getting things ready to cross over to Macedonia. All the pieces had come together. We knew now for sure that God had called us to preach the good news to the Europeans. This is the word of God. For the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Let's pray. A lot of merciful Father, we would thank you that we can gather together to worship on this day mark our calendars to begin the week, to launch our week with priority straight, thinking about you, making space for you. And we thank you for a Labor Day holiday, uh, a time to rest and reflect and, and think about the issue of work. We thank you for the gift of fruitful, satisfying labor. We thank you for those who labor so diligently. And we pray for each one a fair wage and a sense of satisfaction as they make a contribution to society. And we pray for justice in all of our dealings with one another in a world which is craving that sense of dignity and respect accorded to each human being as a creature of yours. And God, we pray this morning as we uh, think about the news uh, for the many, many Syrians and people from that region who are fleeing as refugees and as they enter Europe, we pray for the refugees and all of their families. We pray for the, the, the people in Europe receiving them. We pray that we might always remember that baby Jesus with his parents uh, was a refugee fleeing the ire of a cruel king. May we see the face, in Je face of Jesus in all who suffer. We lift up to you the, the sick in our church community, the grieving, those who are going through family crisis and job crisis, and those who are uh, struggling with issues too private to even talk about. But, oh God, we pray that you might be the healer and the special presence in their lives. And, oh God, we ask that you bless us as we think about worship that we might always give to you faithfully, not only of our substance, but our full attention in worship. And to that end, we just pray that you'll bless this scripture reading, this offering, and all that we offer you as a congregation, as our gift to you, a gift of love because of what you've given us through Jesus Christ, your Son. In his name we pray. Amen. This summer, when I was at the Baptist World College in Durban, South Africa, one of the most pieces of that whole experience was uh, the international 
flavor of worship, the, the sense of being with people from all over the earth. Literally worshiping God. And it was really actually kind of fun and refreshing to be a white man in a minority, uh, to see what it felt like to be uh, in the minority looking around at all those beautiful black and brown faces and to just see people from everywhere. And there was a, there was a, a really strange experience I had experiencing the reading of scripture in morning sessions and especially in evening worship in so many different languages. And I actually kept track hearing the word of God in Spanish, Portuguese, Norwegian, South African, Swahili, French, Russian, Japanese, Korean, and oh yes, English too. And it was, a, it was just a really powerful experience to, to really hear the reality that the Christian faith is international. Um, and that's, that's a part of the overarching story of the New Testament. That the, that the gospel is truly international from its inception and how it became international. And that's uh, some of what we're looking at in the book of Acts uh, as we understand the overarching scripture story, uh, particularly this morning from the book of Acts. And it usually helps for us to do a little review on chronology. So I just want to review with you on the screen for just a moment the, uh, the sense of, of, a, of a timetable and a timeline of, uh, of what we've been reviewing. Jesus' birth, 4 B.C., don't argue with me about that. It was, a, it was a timing thing that was off a little bit when they first set up the calendar that Jesus was born four years B.C. Uh, but his public ministry, his crucifixion, resurrection, between 26 and 30 A.D., the events in the book of Acts, from Acts, the first chapter of Jesus' ascension, to the Acts 28, when Paul finally arrives at Rome with the gospel message, even though he's a prisoner, he's in Rome with the gospel message, uh, 30 to 65 A.D. Now, under that, uh, we remember that it was approximately 34 A.D. that Paul was converted. He was Saul of Tarsus, uh, but he was converted and changed his name to Paul. And then Paul began his missionary travels. The scripture I read a moment ago was his second missionary journey. But he began his missionary travels about 48 A.D. And those continued to approximately 65 when he was arrested uh, and he was imprisoned and, and brought to Rome for trial. Now, all that time of his travels, he was also writing letters. And the reason that's important is because those letters make up a lot of the New Testament that follows the book of Acts. In other words, Paul established a church at Corinth and he wrote two letters to Corinthians that are in our canon of Scripture. Uh, he established a church at Ephesus and he wrote a letter to Ephesians. He established a church at Philippi, which is the 16th chapter. We didn't read that far. And uh, he wrote a letter to the Philippians. So that you need to know that a lot of the New Testament that follows the book of Acts uh, are letters that Paul wrote during that time while he was traveling and establishing churches and he was dealing with church problems and so forth. By the way, another word for letter is epistle. You will sometimes hear someone say, there's a reading this morning from the epistle of Romans. Or there's a reading this morning from the epistle of Philippians. It's just another word for letter. I have a friend who uh, taught uh, the Bible at a Baptist college. And uh, he was giving his entry level students a test to see how well they knew the Bible. A lot of them were Baptist kids and they thought they knew the Bible. And uh, so he gave them this entry level test. And one of the questions was, what is an epistle? And one student wrote, an epistle is the wife of an apostle. And uh, 
By the way, that's not correct. In case that's the only thing you heard this morning in my sermon so far. Uh, but it was a good try. It sounded really religious, doesn't it? Uh, but it, an epistle is a letter. And, that, and that's what Paul did. Now, the first 11 chapters of Acts cover 10 to 15 years. You know, we read those as if one day they did this and the next day they did this. And chapter 3, 4, 5. But the first 11 chapters of Acts cover approximately 10 to 15 years. We sort of collapse them into a, a brief time period, but they were spread over a period of years. What's more, Acts 1 through 12 uh, has as a central character the Apostle Peter. And then beginning in chapter 13 through the rest of Acts, Acts 28, it's the Apostle Paul who is the central figure. doesn't mean that one's more important than the other. It simply means that's where the spotlight is focused for the sake of Luke's narrative. Luke is the one who wrote uh, the book of Acts as well as writing the gospel according to Luke. So that's sort of some, some background that helps us have a context for understanding what we're thinking about this morning. But I want to remind you that in studying the Bible, sometimes it's as important to notice what the Bible does not say as to study what the Bible says. And here's what I'm talking about. The book of Acts says a lot of things about the New Testament church and about the beginnings of the international movement of Christianity. But one thing that the book of Acts does not spend much time on is church structure and organization. Interesting, isn't it? Now, certainly, when the Apostle Paul established a church, he tried to find a pastor, and they elected deacons and elders, or appointed in some fashion. But beyond that, we don't have a great deal of description in the book of Acts about organizational structure. Because you see, the Christian faith grew organically or biotically. You need to think about the Christian faith growing more like ivy climbing a wall than thinking about it growing like General Motors' corporate structure. There was this, uh, there was this internal biotic kind of growth that happened. And, and actually, that drives some of us crazy because we like everything so buttoned down and organized, don't we? If you score on the Myers-Briggs personality test a J, you're a planner and you like everything lined out with lists and, and, and details, then it drives you crazy to read the book of Acts and, and well, where's the organization? Well, I thought we were talking about that and, and that story was left off and it's, it's just the way the Bible is. And there are some of us who are planners, especially this season of life that we're in in our congregation, uh, having gone through a season of discernment and now a visioning process about our future. Some of us as planners would like to say to Paul, before you enter that second missionary journey, Paul, why don't we gather all the church together and why don't we do a SWOT analysis? You know, S-W-O-T. Uh, strengths and weaknesses and opportunities and threats. And let's really assess where we are before we launch off in a new direction. Where's the strategic plan here, Paul? And of course, the book of Acts is not into that sort of thing. Because there's something else that's happening and going on. And we have to follow it and see where it leads. Something that would help at this point is a map of the land at the time of Paul's journey. Uh, this is actually a map of Paul's second missionary journey, which is the journey being described in the scripture I read, Acts 16, 6 through 10. 
And to give you some orientation, and I know you can't read all the names, you'll have to trust me that I'm telling you the truth. The lower right-hand corner of the map is Jerusalem. That's the Holy Land or Palestine uh, along the edge. There's Caesarea just north of it. The red arrow goes north up to Antioch. And that second missionary journey uh, was launched. And that big mass of land that sticks out sort of like a dragon's head over to the west or the left, that is Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And you see the region of Bithynia and Pontus, Mysia, uh, Laconia, and so forth. And that's where the Apostle Paul and the others were when they were trying to go on over uh, to do something new. And the Spirit, Scripture says, kept blocking them. Well, eventually, they made it across the Aegean Sea, which is just to the west of Mysia. You see that red arrow with the camel's hump that sort of uh, goes up and back down? That's what happens later in Acts 16. After Paul's vision, they went over to Macedonia or modern-day Greece, uh, into Europe for the first time with the gospel, the gospel becoming international. But I want to go back to Asia Minor, to that big massive land that is current-day Turkey. They're struggling. They can't find God's will. And, and I want to read that again to you because it's so interesting how honest Luke is. One of the things I love about the Bible is that it's so honest. Luke doesn't gloss it over. He doesn't try to smooth it over or make excuses. He just said, we're having, we were having trouble finding God's will. He says in verse 6, we went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, that's Turkey, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word there. And then in verse 7, he says, when we come opposite Mysia, we attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow us to go there either. You know, they just keep bumping this wall. And then, listen to what he says next. So we just gave it a rest. We went to sleep. And in the night, while Paul was sleeping, Jesus stood beside his bed. And he had this vision. There stood a man of Macedonia. And the man was crying out, Come over to Europe. Come over and, and bring the gospel to us. Isn't it interesting? They tried and tried in their own strength. And nothing worked. They went to sleep and God showed up. Has that ever happened to you? You try to, you try to help God out. You try to give God some suggestions about how things should go. And you decide, this is, what, this is what I think we should do. And nothing works. And finally you just give up. And in your own weakness and frustration, when you are least expecting it, God shows, God shows up and God does it God's way. So that we can remember it's not our strength, but, but His. And I love the way that Peterson in the message phrases this about that verse 10 experience. It says, the dream gave Paul his map. All the pieces had come together. We want to flip that around, don't we? We want to say, God, I got this great map. 
And now I want you to give me a dream that will fit it. So that we can get all these people pumped and do it. No, it's the other way around. The dream is what gave Paul the map. The vision, the passion. And when, when the dream was in place, the map took care of itself. And all the pieces fit together. Now, you know that map I showed you a moment ago with the one missionary journey? If you, Some of you have maps in the back of your Bibles. And there's an overlay of all three of Paul's missionary journeys and his journey to Rome, maybe a different color uh, ink or maybe, uh, uh, maybe uh, uh, broken lines or squiggly lines. When you put all three missionary journeys and Paul's journey to Rome on one map, it looks like the tracks of a drunken squirrel. Where's the strategic plan in that? Where's the orderliness to that? Well, it may not be our plan, but it's God's plan. It may not seem orderly to us, but the gospel became international because God was doing it God's way. And really, when you think about it, we should not be surprised that God works this way. You know, several years ago, we established a partnership with uh, a church in Ukraine. 2011, 2012. In 2013, I went over there, uh, did some work at the seminary in Lviv. We, we established our partnership. Our partnership was, was uh, with a particular church, uh, the Baptist Church in Pervomysk in eastern Ukraine near the Russian border. And everybody knows what happened in 2014. War broke out in Ukraine. And our partner church in Pervomysk, Ukraine now looks like this. The separatists threatened Yelisei's Cronin's life. They threatened the life of his family. He was the pastor. They gutted the church, burned it to a crisp. That's all that's left of it. LSA and his family fled to the United States for refuge. We had the privilege of having him here at our church uh, the end of May to preach. He has since gone back to Ukraine. He's going to be teaching at the seminary, and he's going to be planting a new church. See, our plan, God's plan. We thought we knew how this was going to play out. But God has other plans. And God always has a plan B and a plan C and so forth. So, take a moment and reflect on all this. In our church, is God's will always revealed sequentially, logically, in a fashion that's completely orderly? I mean, we're in the season of visioning. Is it always orderly? No. Of course not. And in your own life, is God's will always unfolded to you in a way that is so logical and so clear and so linear in its, in its progression? Of course not. Let me ask you another question about your own personal life. Isn't it always easier... To see God's will in retrospect 
versus trying to see God's will in prospect. That is to say, isn't it easier to look back and say, yes, now I can see God's hand and God's greater pattern in all that chaos. I couldn't see it at the time, but now I can see God's pattern in that. Isn't it easier to look back and see it than it is to look into the future and say, I know exactly what God wants me to do. There's some really important lessons here. As the church goes international, some really important lessons for us as we understand how God works in our lives. Over the years, I've done a lot of reflection on the uh, 16th chapter of Acts, particularly the scripture that we're looking at this morning. And I've distilled down a few reflections, and I want to share on the screen just about five of these things as we think about God's will for our lives or for our church or for our families. And the first is, and I love this one, we are free to fail. Luke is so honest, he says, you know, we tried this, it didn't work. We tried that, it didn't work. So we tried something else. Doesn't sound very spiritual, does it? But it's okay. You know, sometimes I think people will come into my office agonizing over God's will. I think sometimes we think if we get it wrong, a lever is going to be pulled and a trap door is going to open and we're going to be going down into the abyss of nothingness forever and ever. It's not that way. We're free to fail because God loves us and we live in grace. And if we don't get plan A, we'll get plan B and maybe all the way down to plan Z. And then we might start with AA and BB and CC and all the way down. Number two, going and doing are usually preferred over sitting and waiting. Now I know there are times of spiritual discernment like what we've been through as a congregation. There's a time to sit and wait on the Spirit, but there's also a lot to be said for just getting up and doing something. And as we're going, God reveals a plan to us. Sometimes we suffer from the analysis paralysis. You know, we just, we sit and we think it to death. We study it to death. And sometimes we just need to step out and go. And as we're going, God will show us. I was at a convention center not long ago, a large building. I was going to be late for one of the workshops, and I had to go up a floor, and I found the escalators, and I came to the escalators, and they were, stand, they were still. And I thought, oh, they're broken. I don't know where the elevator is. And then I went, duh. I stepped on the escalator, and when I did, it started moving. That's the way God's will is. God doesn't submit His will for us to study and then reject. He's only going to show us when we step on the escalator. Sanctified common sense. I love how Luke says, well, we tried this, we tried that, and then we finally gathered... Because those things didn't work, we should probably do something else. Sometimes common sense is overlooked in the discovery of God's will. It's underrated. Sometimes with common sense, we just figure out those things didn't work, so maybe we should try something else. And number four, one door closes, another door opens. We should not despair when a door closes because somewhere, somehow, God is opening a door, as God did for Paul, to go on over to Europe. And that leads to the fifth. When we obey, we discover that God is already there waiting for us when we come. When Paul and the others jumped the Aegean Sea, 
and came to Europe with the gospel for the first time. They found out God was already there working in the heart of a young teenage girl who was being used and abused by uh, business people to make a profit. They found that God was already working in the heart of a businesswoman named Lydia. And she was so hungry to hear the gospel that God used her to plant the Philippian church. God was already working in the heart of a cynical, bitter Philippian jailer who would at midnight, when the earthquake happened, cry out, what must I do to be saved? God was already there. They didn't have to conjure up God. When they arrived in Europe, God was there. And when we step out and obey, we find out God's already ahead of us. He's there waiting for us. And so here it is. As simple as I know how to say it. You don't have to know everything to follow Jesus. You don't have to know God's entire strategic plan to be obedient. You don't have to understand everything to be successful in your spiritual life. You just have to step out one step at a time. And remember, Jesus did not say, let me show you the map. Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't even say, there is the way. He said, I am the way. And because of that, we can trust. And there's one more thing Jesus said. Follow me. Follow. Let's pray. God, we open our hearts. We pray for the courage and the faith to simply take you at your word and to trust. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.